Welcome to the Young Adult in Ministry Podcast, the Yamcast, where we talk about everything the church needs to know and some things you don't need to know about failing forward in young adult ministry. We are starting these monthly podcasts with a discussion about the book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, and anything else we feel like. Hi, my name is Kenny. I'm from Boise, Idaho. My name is Jeremy, and I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm I'm Chris from Cincinnati, Ohio. And here we go. Today, sharing it on Facebook for those of you joining us as we're talking about young adult ministry and continuing these these conversations. Right now, we're going through the book Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, Making It Work, Making It Last. And it's kind of been the launching point for this podcast conversation, but is the goal of this podcast is to have conversations with ourselves and then bring in on others as, as time allows to be able to talk about what we're learning and what we have learned about young adult ministry. And when we started this, we did not know this was going to be the weirdest year in um, our generation to do anything, let alone ministry. So I'm excited and thankful that we've been able to have this as a, hopefully as a resource for others, but definitely as a great tool for each of us as we've been serving in young adult ministry in our own context across the United States. We were going to have these conversations anyway. I mean, we were, we were having them, you know, individually or between the three of us when we were around each other. And Jeremy, I just really appreciate you just kicking us off with a really concrete sequential kind of opening there. And um, yeah, I'm going to go abstract random here for a second and just say, Chris, have you done an Enneagram? Because Jeremy's talking about that and I know what that is, but have you done that thing, that inventory? I have um, kind of skimmed a few books on the Enneagram. I've tried to type myself. I've let other people type me. Um, you know, in the campus ministry world in Cincinnati, as far as my network of campus ministry friends, we've got a few that are like really into it. And uh, you can't get very far into a conversation without somebody saying, well, I'm a seven. So, you know, I'm totally the adventurous, can't stand to miss out on the fun, whatever. Um, so you'll have, you know, it seems like Enneagram awareness is definitely uh up um but i don't feel like i've really dug in deeply enough to understand it or be able to type anyone myself beyond just like uh okay you like to serve and do stuff you might be a two i i just i want to get into it far enough so i can say things like like jeremy said where i can say you know i'm this number and because of that i know this about myself blah 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 blah. because i i've done a very preliminary type like skimping thing one of the places I worked, I, I tried to get them to pay for it. And they're like, yeah, just, just kind of get the book and just, just, just read it. I was like, you don't really want me to know what my Enneagram thing is if you don't want to invest in me to, to do this. And so if it's really not that important to you, then, then maybe I'm not going to do it either. But I do like to do these things as they come along because it always teaches me something about myself. Um, but it, always, it also always allows me to engage in those conversations instead of just going, I don't want to talk about this because I have no idea what I'm talking about. But Jeremy, what number do you think that I am? Because I don't know. And if I were to find out, I want to know how accurate it might be. I think I'm a number between seven and could include seven and nine, but I don't remember. It could be seven, eight, or nine, I think. Yeah, I, you know, well, it's kind of like Fight Club 
uh, one of the things you do with one of the rules of Enneagram is uh, no, not that you don't talk about it, but you don't, you don't, you're not supposed to type other people. Um, it, because it, it like, it truly is like, um, a big piece of it is the, the self journey and self discovery in the process. So I thought it was weird because the first time I heard about it were, was from people that if they're interested in something, I usually am interested in the opposite thing. Yeah. And then over time, more people that I respected their opinion were talking about it. And so I took a quiz online, which is one of the other things that they say not to do. Oh, and do I, that. I, it was, it was inaccurate because then once I did more reading on it, I figured out that I, it gave me the incorrect, an incorrect number, but it got me interested enough to read a book about it. Um, I read The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and Susan Stable. And in reading it, I figured out what, like it, the quiz, the test thing typed me as a one. Yeah. And in reading it, they say like, you read something like that and it's whatever number punches you in the gut the most. So in that oh. book, in reading it. Is Fight it, Club. Yeah. They talk about in Enneagram 3, he's uh, Ian Cron's talking about his father and said, my father you would see it when we'd walk into a, a room at a party or some event, you could see him scan the room, figure out what version of himself he needed to be and put that on and then present himself in that scenario. And he said, I saw him put on different scenarios, even at the same party based off the room he walked into. Whoa. Which maybe sounds weird from like I read and I was like, yeah, that makes total like, and then reading other things, I was like, oh, these are things that are just in my head or maybe people a little bit like me like views of the world that I thought everybody had that were just like the way that I'm viewing the world. But threes, the core like thing is to want to, to succeed, to avoid failure at all costs. And for me, the way that I embody that a lot is to be perfect at what I do. I avoid things I'm not good at naturally. I'm not um, a three. I'll just tell you that right now. And I normally, I normally try to, I try to get hundred percent on everything I do, which kind of the perfection and the nicely organized stuff is a very typical thing of an Enneagram one, which is why I test it as a one, but my motivation isn't perfection for perfection sake, but it's because I want to succeed. So what you're saying is you're passionate about this and you're not going to tell me what number I am. That's what I just heard. If, if I were to to venture an unofficial guess, Mm. I would say seven. Okay. And go a little bit deeper. They talk about, wings which is maybe you lean one way or another Mm -hmm. to the numbers that surround yours which yours would be six or eight so i would i would venture the the unprofessional guess that you're a seven wing eight which is like the eight's kind of like a lime on the coke like it just adds a little zest to your life a wingman i might be the wingman i'm okay being the wingman chris what are you thinking right now i'm there's so much happening with your just face oh I just, I'm pretty um, intrigued, you know, by Enneagram stuff. And similar to Jeremy, like the first people I heard it from were not really, it wasn't a crowd of people that I always think, oh, I'm going to follow what they're doing or, or whatever. Um, but really kind of got me intrigued. And uh, Richard Rohr is, a, I'm a big fan of Rohr these right. days. Um, and so yeah. he's, he's collaborated on some Enneagram or at least one book that intrigues on me. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's great as I would say self-awareness as well as helping you, if you could understand others, 
like I'm always in, I always love it when somebody says, yeah, in weakness, I tend to do this or when I'm not healthy, I tend. And so in Enneagram language, that's like self-awareness, kind of knowing that these are your weaknesses or where you tend to mm. go if you're stressed or not yeah, completely healthy. I think some of that stuff is pretty helpful just to kind of understand where you tend to, how you tend to interact or what you do, you know, with people and stuff. So for me, it's, it would be more about self-awareness. I don't necessarily like the idea of trying to pigeonhole people or figure out like, Oh, if they're a two, then I need to be this way. Right. Right. Um, but it is funny that a lot of people, <laughs> they'll give that little disclaimer, like, well, we're not supposed to type each other, but you're definitely a four. But if I were to venture, I guess, hypothetically. Thank you. I don't know. I appreciate it. artist, um, you're a four, yeah, or whatever. I appreciate it, Jeremy. Thank you. And um, it begs the question for me, do young adults care about this, which I, as a millennial, you obviously do. So I wonder if that's a personality thing or generally are, are young adults, both millennials and Gen Z, are they being exposed to the Enneagram either in education or in the workplace? Um, I'm imagining if it was workplace, it's probably going to be more in some type of professional startup, a nonprofit-ish church, maybe, I don't know, business of some variety, but is this something that's common among Young adult. Are you guys hearing young adults that you're interacting with talking about Enneagram? And is that something that they're aware of or engaged with? Yeah, it's definitely, I think as Chris said, growing in kind of collective popularity, especially within those who have some connection to Christianity and the church because of people like Richard Rohr and Ian Cron and uh, Susan Sibyl, who, um, I apologize if I'm pronouncing her last name wrong. I'm not sure. I know how it's spelled, but not sure how it's pronounced. But you're an expert. (laughs) And so I think there's a greater awareness and interest in it. And I think part of that just because it's it's a little bit easier to grasp and understand than like you know Myers Briggs, where there's so you know there's letters, so many combinations. And I think one of the the risks that Chris mentioned and referred to was that because it's easier to remember kind of basic things for each of the nine is that it can be easy to kind of put people into a box based off that. Right. And so like, it's an important thing to be able to have that, like that information along with the realization this is supposed to be so that you can grow and love yourself better and be able to love others better as well. So it's definitely helped me in my conversations with my wife to better understand kind of where we're coming from and different things like uh, when I'm in stress or not doing well healthy the way the Enneagram works you kind of go to a a number and exhibit some of the unhealthier traits of that number so for three go to an unhealthy place of a nine which for me my wife just calls that my Netflix mode I'm usually only like I just I don't rest very well And when I do, like, I want it to be good rest. Like it's going to a lake and sitting there. Like, I'm not gonna, I don't naturally want to spend time watching Netflix. Like I, unless if it's a documentary and then I'm using it for some like other purpose to, to roll into some other content, a conversation, a class, a sermon. Mm -hmm. So the only time that I binge Netflix is when I'm really stressed and that's like my default like that's the only time that i'm really interested in grabbing a pint of ice cream and like watching 
like a whole season of something on Netflix or Star Wars, something like that. So wow. it's, it's helped like us realize. a snuggie with like blankets with sleeves and made me nervous there about grabbing a pint. <laughs> is that ice cream? I mean, oh, mint ice, chocolate chip. Mint chocolate yeah. chip. Well, it sounds like this is a great tool for young adults who might be living at home. What do you think? Yeah. I'm trying to decide if you're being of, serious or being sarcastic. Speaking, Either way, speaking, I'm good with it. But Chris, no, 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 because, uh, you know, early in the COVID, you know, season of, you know, back in March, April, um, you know, my oldest and um, her fiance at the time, um, you know, moved back in with us. And um, so we had a couple of months there where I feel like if we had done some, some deep kind of Enneagram work, that that all that togetherness could have gone much better than it than it did but um apparently and i don't know if i'm jumping the gun here but apparently what we do our our little culture corner piece here is discussing an article where did it come from where did it go um it came from From axios it is i i will just say though i was i get the burl the think burlap.com updates and i saw this on there And then I didn't just read it and go, oh, let's do this. I went to the source material, which was this link, and then read through it about young adults moving back home. Please continue. So like Pew Research saying a record number, 52% of young adults in the U.S. are living with their parents. So these are young adults age 18 to 29. Um, So 52% of young, like about 50%. That's a lot of young adults living at home. Um, So it is... It is interesting. And I guess, first of all, do we all, do you guys see this or is this some pocket of young adults we're not really in touch with? Um, But I think the other really interesting, for me, the most interesting part of this was uh, actually the mental health, kind of the bullet point on mental health um, that mentioned along with this study was like one in four, uh, 18 to 24 year olds are saying they've considered suicide in the month of June because of the pandemic. That struck me, man. That's, that's sad. Cause I immediately yeah. go, hey, there's a whole lot more going on in life. Like don't, don't give up now. Um, just because this is where we're at today, we're, we're going to get, we're going to get through this, but the isolation, I don't, I don't think it's just young adults or so many people that have struggled with you know, like mental well being for lots of different reasons, but that was, that was a really sad statistic for me to read. Yeah. I thought the comparison to the great depression and the percentage of young adults, which is the one they had on record to compare it to a 48% of young adults living with their parents in 1940, but then they're not really sure. Cause they're not really sure how great their records were. And maybe there were more young adults than they knew of that were actually, which I, I would, tend to guess that way that they there were probably people that were more living uh, intergenerationally because they'd been doing that for a long time like 1940 i mean have do we have the do we have the advent of the high school yet like the word teenager hasn't even been invented yet people aren't using that as common vernacular um and i think in the 1930s is probably when the enneagram was created and they probably first started using that terminology which maybe i i don't it was early in the 1900s though i do remember reading something about enneagrams not brand new it's something that they're recycling back in maybe they have data that we could compare to the two this is really my attempt at tying in our random intro that i came up with not in our show notes 
but I'm really glad we talked about. Yeah. Um, my daughter moved back home because she was at college and college students are basically homeless because they live someplace for nine months of the year and then they go someplace else. Sometimes it's home, but our daughter did inform us and I totally understand why. She's like, look, this is my third year of college. I'm a junior. If they do not open my campus, I will be moving out and I will be moving in with friends because I just need to do that. And our external response was, we totally understand where you're coming from. We support you. And our internal response was, man, we think that's a really, really good idea that she's come up with. Our daughter is smart. <laughs> but just on a micro level here in, in the Wade family, um, our 20 year old was like, I'm not going to stay at home anymore. I need to figure out how I can do that to, but I think people out of necessity, where do I go that I'm not going to get COVID where am I going to go on figuring out how to get a job? Where am I going to go while my college is shut down and, I, and, and maybe I stay in school, maybe I don't. There's also statistics that, that um, and I don't know what they are, but there's, I don't know, it's like 100,000, I think it was the number I read. Young adults are deciding not to pursue college this fall. Like they were going to go or, they, or they're choosing not to go back, all kind of mixed in that number. It's a really big swath of, of um, the young adult population. Um, maybe they move back home. I don't know. So it, cre it creates some interesting, you know, scenarios for ministry, I think, for churches to figure out, um, you know, ways to engage young adults. You know, if we've got more college students who are not necessarily leaving and going away to college, um, you know, a mix of opportunities and challenges. It'd be interesting to, uh, to just hear some anecdotal stuff, you know, from folks who are doing college young adult ministry, like, are they seeing this, uh, kind of feeling the effects of it and what kind of impact is it, you know, having, you know, I'm helping basically part of a volunteer team at my church kind of in, I know, Kenny, you do this same kind of thing, do some young adult ministry kind of stuff, you know. Um, so as I've tried to get a little bit more involved with, some college age, you know, students who are part of our church. And this is apart from the campus ministry stuff I've been doing in Cincinnati because University of Cincinnati is 30 minutes away from the church that we go to. So there's not a whole lot of crossover between students I hang out with during the week on campus versus church, you know, church-based kind of college stuff. But anyway, it's been interesting to see um, in this one particular group that we have, which is kind of like the first five years out of high school it's focused on those five years um and so we we kind of welcome like the new high school grads into this group and then hopefully within five years we've kind of helped them figure out how to integrate and connect in the life of the general church so to speak and not be so dependent on an age group ministry but it's been interesting to see this year just the mix of students like some that didn't go to school and then some that are trying to connect it's just a a tricky, I would say it's made some things more tricky. I can't decide yet. I think if it's, if it's more opportunity than challenge, but. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I, for me, as I was reading through this article and thinking through some other things that just thinking of the, it's mentioned in the article, the socioeconomic impact of what we're going through with COVID and obviously that then overlays with mental health 
and uh, education choices and things like that. But thinking about, I know we've had conversations also talking about how there's like an increase in young adults or at least millennials buying homes, thinking you kind of have like that trend on one end and this trend on the other and kind of how this is, as you, as you said, Chris, kind of redoing the landscape of what young adult life looks like and how does that impact how we're involved in ministry and walking through life with young adults. I mean, they talk about how there has been three periods in uh, modern history where the, the gap of wealth has decreased. It was the two world wars and the black plague because there was such a, like it just upended the whole feudal system in Europe and created actually kind of the, the platform for the middle class to develop. And I don't, I, you know, it's one of those things, not knowing what, what all this is going to look like, but like, yeah, I think these, these trends are things to be paying attention to, not just for the sake of sociological interest, but saying, okay, how do these apply within our local community and city context? Like where are, what are the, what are the choices on housing, on education that our young adults are being faced with and how do we support them, encourage them and help them along in that journey when they're being faced with choices that haven't been choices that we've commonly had to be faced with in recent years mm. because of the reality of COVID and the reality that while stuff is opening back up, things aren't going to look January, 2020 normal for a bit. And I think it's a, it's a good reminder that we need to be thinking, how do we minister to young adults in this context for the long term, rather than just seeing this as like a band-aid fix for a few months? Because if we think like that and then it lasts longer, we risk, we run the risk of not serving our young adults well in terms of how we invite them into the life of the church and the mission of the kingdom of God. Okay, so before we get into the chapters for this session, this episode, very curious what young adult ministry has looked like uh, for you guys, um, like this week. And I think, you know, Jeremy, we're, we're getting updates from, from you on the specific church and campus and ministry you're in. Chris, you've had some changes lately. And um, yeah, there's some things I've just done different lately. So let's, who, who wants, who wants to go first? I, ch I choose Chris. Chris, I choose you. I want to hear from you. I want to hear about updates from you, what you're doing with young adults over the last month week uh month week um so there's one of my students at the university of cincinnati i've um connected with a little more this year this is his final year at the university finishing up an accounting degree um interesting because he is kind of like a nazarene kid who came through some nazarene youth group kind of you know seasons um, but not part of a Nazarene church anymore. I uh, met him when he was a freshman. He kind of had no interest in hanging out. Um, 
And I get that sometimes from church kids who basically come to the University of Cincinnati and then they're, I mean, they're kind of ready to sow some wild oats or, you know, just be like, hey, I don't have to go to church anymore. Um, and so they kind of run the other direction sometimes with their freedom. Um, and he kind of did that. But now this last year, he's gotten a little more, I think, curious spiritually uh, through some tragedy in his life, honestly, which has not been great. But um, so meeting with him about once every two weeks now. Uh, and so that's just an example of a student kind of connection, discipling kind of relationship. And I probably have five or six of those kind of one-on-ones with students on any given week Um, and then trying to get a little bit more involved with our like our church-based college age ministry uh, Springdale Nazarene Church on the north side of Cincinnati Um, quite a few you know young adult types 18 to 29ers you know there may be 50 to 100 young adults at a weekend, you know, gathering um, worship services and stuff like that, but very difficult to get them plugged in and connected into sort of smaller cohorts of Christian community and fellowship, Bible study and all that kind of stuff. So I've started to get a little bit more involved in that group just to try to um, connect and in some ways uh, to sort of create a laboratory, you know, a way of engaging with young adults, you know, as we read, you know, as I feel like I study and do professional development kind of stuff and learn, you know, stuff about college age and young adult ministry. Um, yeah. There's a part of me is like, hey, I should like try this out. I should like be in the lives of some students, you know, and some young adults, not just students, because I've been real focused on students for the past 10 or 11 years. Um, so anyway, I'm dabbling a little bit more again with general young adult ministry in our church, and, and that's been kind of fun. I was also the guest speaker at a young adult Zoom gathering with a church in Texas this oh, that's past fun. week, which, yeah, it was kind of cool. And there were 10 or 12 young adults on this Zoom call, and I just shared a little bit about my Appalachian Trail experience and connecting that with some spiritual disciplines and soul care and sabbath keeping and some stuff like that um for young adults but that was kind of fun um so that's been a, an interesting new way for me to kind of engage which if you are uh, watching on facebook live right now or listening to the later recording of this and you're like chris went on the appalachian trail go back and in one of our previous episodes the kenny wade interviewed chris to talk about the physical and spiritual journey that Chris went through during his Sabbath on the Appalachian Trail. And when and you listen to it, that... you feel like you're there with Chris. Yeah. You can smell the coffee beans. <laughs> uh, it's a four-dimensional experience. Mm-hmm. If, if, mm-hmm. if only. Way ahead of the technological curve there. Jeremy, how about you, man? What's, what's ministry look like recently? Yeah, so we're here on the campus of Trevecca Nazarene University and working through all the COVID precautions that that entails, including limitations on social gatherings outside of church worship services. And so it's, you know, connecting with students on Sunday mornings, the before and after services and being able to catch up with them and then just being creative. So we have a Thursday night small group that last year we met on the on in the on-campus coffee shop and this nice hip um, 
intimate small part of the coffee shop that's not COVID appropriate for large groups anymore or groups of 15 to 25, which is what we run on most Thursday nights. And so we've moved that into our basketball gym here in the church, have tables and stuff to social distance people out a bit, and then just trying to find ways to continue to still have conversation, build relationships, dive into the word together. So one of the highlights from this last week was we, I realized that one thing you, one game you can play and stay socially distanced is to do team-based charades. So divide the group up into two groups because I just bring someone up to the front. I sat my computer in front of them and then just, I made a PowerPoint of like 50 prompts and just hit it and let them go, which was really funny because like charades, you know, is goofy anyway, if you get the right people and we had the right people to do it. But then if you pick the right prompts, you don't realize how much you use your, your face. I just put on a mask when you're wearing a mask, you lose the mouth and there's so much nonverbals that you, that that are just gone. Yeah. Like I purposely put in one of them as the prompt to be chomp, like the verb chomp, C-H-O-M-P. And you so that they had to try to figure out how to do that without the, because normally you would just make that motion of like eating an apple with your mouth. So it was, it was hilarious. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. It helped, you know, connect people. One of the things we're realizing is that because of life on campus and here in Nashville specifically with social distancing, with masks being required, that it's, that really impacts a lot of this. Like it's, they're all good necessary things in the time that we're in, but they impact the social component for people who don't already know each other. So doing something like that, that allowed them to, to interact a little bit more with each other was a lot of fun. So we did that. And then we're periodically, my wife and I uh, grabbing lunch and meeting up with students who are interested and comfortable with it to sit socially distanced on picnic benches so we can eat outside while the weather is still really nice and be able to catch up over a meal while still being careful and cautious. But that's been a good way because one of the most meaningful things we had previously was either hosting meals for a number of students or going into the cafeteria on campus, which neither of those things we can really do right now. So trying to be creative and honestly like those lunches that we've had now like what we've done in the past been great and i look forward to doing those again these kind of one-on-one or three of us uh, lunches have been great to actually be able to dive deep because you kind of when you agree to grab lunch with the college pastor and his wife like you're kind of agreeing to have like a deeper conversation because like you can't stay surface level for 45 minutes. Questions. Not just gonna, so, there, there will be verbal probing that happens here about your life. Yeah, and I'm yeah. signing up so for that. Been, and the, hopefully the meal's worth it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been, it's been good. It's, it's requiring creativity. And as I mentioned, like trying to think not just short-term fixes of something that's different this semester, but thinking what are things, what are habits and rhythms that we can help develop with our young adults and with college students, especially given our context that can be ongoing rhythms for our life as young adults. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Kenny? Well, we went for the second Sunday now as a family to like in-person worship in our church, RTCC, Tree City Church in Boise. Um, 
has 50 people that can like be in the worship center and then upstairs in the youth room. It's like the second largest room in the building. And so they can have another 50 people there. So they have these simul kind of things. And they went, um, I don't think last Sunday, the Sunday before, the, I think it was the 13th. It was the first time that they went back to having two morning worship gatherings uh, on Sunday morning on campus. But this is the first Sunday, I think, where they recorded both of them. So they were both live streaming. Um, and so now people can live stream at, you know, two different times in the morning. Anyway, um, our first Sunday back, I counted the young adults that were in the room. I, and I counted people under 30, or including 30, and which was, I think is kind of cool, is most of our, our worship team that's leading our church congregation, both in person and online, people behind the cameras were millennials and Gen Z. Um, there were people sitting in the room that were part of worship that were there and some upstairs. And I was like, okay, there's this many young adults that are here and some that are really engaged in what's going on. Like if they weren't here, I'm not sure how they'd be doing this. I thought that was kind of cool. And then I asked our youth pastor, I go, you know how many young adults were around for, for second hour? And he goes, there were a lot more. There were college students and they were Northwest Nazarene students. We have a van that, you know, is on campus and then they drive, they drive over because it's a bit of a, a bit of a drive and the people that come on their own too. So we're, we're talking about starting up our connect time again, that in between the, the worship gatherings and like having that space and, and our church leadership is not ready to consider that yet to have a place where you intentionally congregate and have food, even if it's just drop in, because they're not trying to do that with any other age group. And so it was once again, Kenny going to pastoral leadership saying, Hey, what if we did this? Like, you know, if we do it for you, we have to do it for other people. And I'm like, oh, I, why do we always have to be that far ahead of the, the curve? That it's just something we're not going to do until another ministry can do it first. But that's fine. It's safe. We're not trying to be, we're not trying to be ahead of the curve, Kenny. We're trying to flatten the curve. Go on. We're trying to, oh. Mm, Dr. Wow. Fauci. Thank you, Jeremy. You're so funny. <laughs> so with that said, um, we'd already kind of ideated with this, but we exported connect to once a month for the younger young adults, which is kind of that first five years, Chris, you mentioned before. And then our older young adults is like the next kind of graduated or into off into profession, or maybe they're married. Maybe they have young kids, whatever I got together. So on Wednesday nights, drop my boys off a youth group twice a month. And one month, um, one week I go for any young adults that want to come together that first five years after high school. Anybody want to get together at a coffee shop or, or at a restaurant, buy, buy some appetizers. And it's just small groups of people. Um, and then I did that with the older young adult group. We call them the emerging adults, like 23 plus, uh, 22, 23 plus. And there are um, five of them come and hang, hang out with me last Wednesday. It was really cool to get their insight. And the push that's happened lately for like, hey, maybe you should start up a Bible study and see if people want to do that. Every time I bounce that idea off of them, they go, we don't want to do that. We're in Bible studies. We're having our own devotions. We're in this because we're trying to network with other young adults and want to help other young adults network that want to get connected to doing things in community together, like in small, you know, small groups. But this summer, I told you guys, they went boating. Some of them have gone rock climbing in a rock, in rock climbing gym here together. But it was really cool to have kind of the... Um, two of them that are helping kind of organize some of those networking things. They're like, you have my cell phone number. If anybody comes on your radar, that's new to the church, just give them my cell phone number and I'll, I'll totally follow up with them and let them know what we're doing. And, and they, 
you know, an older guy and older girl said that. Now it's not college age. I think that's kind of different. I'm trying to do more one-on-one kind of connects there, but um, that was really encouraging to me because it's not a in place in like centralized through church leadership and we're transferring databases right now. And I don't have access to information I had before guys, the stuff we're bringing up right now is all in the chapters that we're like going to transition to next. Isn't that great? That's just what's happening in life. Um, I texted a college age-ish guy. He's probably 20 this week and just said, Hey man, how you doing? And he just said, honestly, not doing really good. Haven't been able to get him to respond back to me. He's moved back with, with his parents. Um, he was living with his parents and he was kind of doing some school and working, but doesn't, you know, hard to find a job right now, not doing school at home with parents, underlying health conditions in the, in the family and not going out. Um, so I keep checking in, you know, and there's other ones I'm reaching out to. And we finally have an Instagram tree TCC young adults, not to be confused with TCC Nashville. Um, it has the tree city logo, but we have that. And so I'm hoping that'll communicate. So that's some of the stuff we've been doing, but it was just the networking, the informal, like, I'm connected to a few different leaders in these different young adult demographic age groups. And I can reach out to them to figure out what's going on. And then they communicate stuff. And I think people just, they really, they want relationship. They want connection. They want that personal touch. Um, And if we don't have to start up a new Bible study or worship service to try to get a crowd, but we can focus on a few relationships and make those meaningful. I count that as a win with, with our young adults. So yeah. Chapter time, chapter book time. Yeah. Well, I think that's a a perfect example of something that is from the first of the two chapters we're going to talk about today, talking about like the focused communication rather than shotgun uh, communication. Do you mean in our book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, Jeremy? Yeah, this one. That's the one. I don't know why I just did sports center sound effect. (laughs) I mean, it was a spot-on sound effect. I know, but I've got a rush. Yeah, we've been we've been looking uh, through this book, Sustainable Young Adult Ministry, by Mark DeVries and Scott Pontier. And the first half of the book is look, looking at six mistakes that can be made in young adult ministry. So we've went through those in previous episodes of the Young Adult Ministry podcast, and then I've been working through six paradoxes as kind of like tools and. Uh, concepts that should be considered in young adult ministry. And so we're looking at, it's chapter 14, Paradox 6, which is 14 and 15 this week, right? Yes. yes. And let me just, let me add this, Jeremy. I'm taking the previous episodes we've done and just grabbing the book discussion content and putting those in little like podcast, podcast episode packages. So if somebody wanted to get the book or just wanted to listen to those things and grab some of that, they could. Um, so chapter 14, paradox six, attract young adults to your church by sending them away. What? How do you do that? Yeah, this This is a hard one. I was gonna say, Chris, you, you share your wisdom with us. (laughs) Well, I, yeah, there's part of me as I was reading this chapter that just completely embraces the, uh, frustration 
you know, of because a lot of times the way we do ministry and the way I did youth ministry for years, and then you try to translate that into college and young adult ministry, is kind of programmatic. It's kind of based on attendance, like it, you need people to show up for this to be successful, kind of stuff. And so it's you know, he really makes the point of saying like, why do we keep gearing ministry towards this mythical? Uh, creature of like a young adult who stays put and plugs in and does um, that kind of kind of ministry. So uh, trying to go into kind of your planning around young adult ministry with this idea that, yeah, they're more mobile, they're transient, they might not be around for, you know, the next 10 years. Um, so fine, let's work with that. You know, let's leverage some of the uh, some of the positives around that, you know, so anyway, um, and there's, you know, a little bit of a bullet list of some, some things we could talk about. Um, but I would say one that, that Kenny had just meant, you know, touched on was the communication thing. And I think, you know, I've, I've had times and seasons where I just think, or I hope by just blasting out emails or blasting out an announcement um, from the platform or, you know, putting a slide up on a screen, you know, occasionally some of those ways in which we just communicate to the crowd just doesn't work. And so one-on-one, -on -one, um, and several times throughout this book, I think he's really done a good job of focused on this thing that, um, if you want to be more effective in young adult ministry, you have to spend time with young adults and, and, and take that even one notch you know, further, so to speak, is you have to spend time with a young adult, you know. Um, so it's not just a group think or a group experience, but focusing on communicating to the one, you know, whether it's a text to an actual individual college student or young adult, engage them in conversation, uh, look in them in the eye, conversations face-to-face -face whenever that's possible. Uh, so this whole focus on one-on-one, -on -one, relational, uh, you know, think small, like don't, don't think about, you know, he makes the point about no more stadium events, but smaller cohort types of things. Uh, and again, this to me could be one of the benefits we'll look back on from the pandemic season is that it has forced the church to get a little bit away from big event style ministry to cohort, smaller group, intimate, um, you know, kind of settings. And then with the sending ministry idea, he, he says, think of it as a flowing ministry. So they're kind of flowing through and in relationship, which is, which is where young adults a lot, I mean, in the twenties, it's kind of where you're at. It happens other times in life too. Um, but it's creating space for young adults to flow through our churches in ways that are life-giving for them and for us, instead of it seeing just as a, as a diminished value that young adults are just going to be here for a little bit and then they're going to go do something else to see, to embrace that uh, as a kingdom imperative of sending. I really like that. I like that, that judo move there um, that, that is maybe, um, you know, non-intuitive of um, you're not going to be around for a while. So let's spend some time together because I'd like to get to know you a little bit and hear what God's doing in your life and just being, be an encouragement to you. Um, 
And then there was, there was another one in here where he talked about young adults being more likely to invite their friends to kind of a smaller grouping and a, and a one-off event rather than a weekly meeting that's been happening for years and years and years. I think of the senior adult Sunday school class that they've been meeting for 50 years on Sunday mornings at this time. And this is, this is how we do it and what we do. And who's going to be our teacher this week, pastor? Who are you going to have teach us? Because we, this is what we do. You know, and there's there's positive things to that, but it but it, it's hard to break into a peer group that's super tight, and and you know, and as it and as I sat around with those older young adults, um, at Chili's, you know, eating appetizers last last Wednesday, which was great. Like this is this is a great ministry for me. Um, I was just thinking, this is we're having totally different conversations than I would with college age students. And young adults that are in that college age that are working or trying to figure out what to do next. And so I need to break down the smaller conversations to contextualize, to hear where they're at, and then what they're interested in to invest in that relationally while I'm, while I'm around them. Also in this chapter, I had, I had, Oh, it's the next chapter. It's chapter 15. I, I have a deep insight for the next chapter when we're ready to go there. Well, let's get there in one minute. I, I'll just say this because I think you guys summed up some of the main points and applications of this chapter well. The six key shifts that he talks about are ones that I think were very pertinent and timely in 2019. But in the time of COVID, like, these are almost all essential as you said, Chris, that this like works, these shifts kind of work really well for a, pan a pandemic where it's, you know, small, talking to small groups instead of large groups, focusing on an individual over a, a, a group, looking at the, the short term instead of the long term, shifting from brilliant messages to transfer, transformational environments, that these are all different ways for us to engage in young adult ministry that might have been like unique and interesting several months ago but now six months into this pandemic it's kind of the depending on where we live in the world and in the united states kind of like what is essential that doesn't make it necessarily like any more important i think it's equally important like it worked then it works now it'll work at whatever point we get to post covid that the, the small group, the focus, the, the relationship building rather than the event is, is what will continue to, to be important, which I think speaks to moving to, to chapter 15, one of the main points of that chapter, which is approaching ministry with young adults from an, a, a perspective of it being long obedience in the same direction. Uh, the chapter title of 15 is, I don't know, dot, 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 yet, practicing the long obedience. That this is relationship-based and requires a willingness to, to be in it for the long haul. I, one of the, I'll, I'll say this, and then Kenny, I want to hear your deep wisdom, is I heard someone talking about the Great Commission recently, and they were saying how when, when Christ said to go and make disciples, of all nations, he didn't stop there. He said, you know, teaching them everything that I've shown and taught you that discipleship isn't just about an evangelism track 
and praying a well-worded prayer and making a disciple in that way. A disciple is somebody who picks up all of the traits of the one that they're following or the one that's being taught about to them. And that for, a dis- for those first disciples to go and make other disciples, you can't dispel everything that you've experienced from three years living and walking and ministering alongside Jesus in like one conversation. If you're making a disciple, it's, it's for the long haul. You got to live it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Acts, Acts 17, Paul, Mars Hill, I got the right chapter. Is that right? I like Acts 16 too, but Acts 17. And he, you know, he points out the unknown God, but he, he, we accepted as scripture, but there's these quotation marks in your Bible where Paul is quoting the poets of his day. And, and they, they are not a part of the canon of scripture, but they became a part of our canon once Paul said them. So it was, it was a revelation for me to realize that every time I've talked about a long obedience in the same direction, I thought I was quoting Eugene Peterson and it was actually Frederick Nietzsche. Um, apparently haven't read enough of, of Nietzsche to know that that's what I was doing, but I thought that was kind of cool, you know, um, and also very dismantling for me, but I got it back together again. But the whole long obedience, the same direction has so many applications in life and ministry. Uh, but with young adults, we have to have that. I have to have that, but it's also very seasonal. And I talked about that with our older young adults around the table last Wednesday of just, you guys, you're different places and you're doing different stuff and you're doing cool stuff. You're going to do this for a while, but maybe you're going to move on. Some of you are already planning to move on to someplace else. Um, but we want to have this time together and invest in each other while, while we have this time together. We can have a long obedience in the same direction while the faces and relationships and, and um, the, the people's obedience to God is, is changing, but they know that we're there. Um, and we can be a, we can be a constant in that and make sure that our churches that we've, I don't know, cut a groove, make blaze that trail that the, all the young adults that are part of your church, Chris, I can't help but think that all of the investment that you made as a young adult pastor back in the day has, that has to be part of the legacy of that, um, that they are young adults now that are part of that church are different young adults. I mean, it's long enough now that, I mean, those people might have kids now. We don't know, Chris. Um, but Grandkids. Because someone was doing young adult ministry then, there's the capacity and capability of young adult ministry happening now in new ways within our church bodies. I'm trying to think like that. Hmm. And I'm thanking these older young adults for paving the way and working this out together and, and thinking up things and being creative and finding out how we can help our church connect young adults to the body of Christ and to each other relationally to point each other to Christ. And, and, that they're leading, they're leading the way today for the young adults that are coming after them tomorrow and, and how significant that is. Yeah, we'd just like to thank all you former young adults for allowing us to make, you know, the first six chapters worth of mistakes that we learned about in sustainable so young adult grateful. ministry. Uh, yeah, we just owe you a huge debt of gratitude. Um, Some of these people, no, but, I youth pastored, now they're coming back around for more. Yeah, I don't know what that says, but... I like it. Yeah. Um, hey, just to give some more Nietzsche love, I think sometimes, yeah, Nietzsche is very misunderstood and he's just equated as, you know, um, the impetus for Hitler's regime or, you know, God's dead. Atheism. Uh, just know. atheism. Yeah, yeah. But even his, even his phrase, you know, God's dead, 
was basically his critique of uh, the current kind of Christian culture that he observed. But anyway, Nietzsche's pretty fascinating. So I I love that he gets credit here for uh, this long obedience thing, which, yeah, I first heard from Eugene Peterson. But um, um, and I think this is good, like individually as well as corporately. So the long obedience thing, I thought it was interesting that the author said when they when they work with the church to kind of guide them into, you know, creating a young adult ministry. I mean, it's like a five-year process, a five-year horizon. Uh, And I think most people in churches just, you know, we're like, hey, we'll give this three or six months. And if nothing happens, you know, I guess it's not going to work. It takes Um, a lot of college students five years to get through their university education. You got to plan for the super senior. I think it's a great perspective to keep in mind, you know, as young adult ministry folks and as churches and leaders and stuff like that, that it does take a long, consistent um, process. Um, but I think one of the things we do to really help young adults as we send them and disciple them is to help them see the journey of faith is a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. That there's not one event or experience or conversation or whatever that's going to seal the deal or equate to their spiritual success but it is a long series of um good conversations and community and relationships and um faith kind of crises that you navigate together with the holy spirit i mean life is this long journey you know of faith and so yeah sometimes i feel like i need to help help somebody see like they don't have to figure everything out with their career, their vocation, their faith, yeah. like today. Like life is a process. There are some things that are urgent, um, but I think it's a healthy perspective uh, to get as soon as you can um, this long obedience thing. So, yeah, I thought there was good stuff here, and uh, and also they kind of reiterate our little our little phrase in the intro. Um, that faithful failing in the right direction almost always works. Um, and the next line is, we call it dumb persistence. I got that in spades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, are we ready to take this thing out, Jeremy? Or were you adding some more comments, some other? I, just, I, wanted, to, I wanted to say one final thing, uh, not necessarily as a wrap up, but to to brag on the two of you. I think the two of you embody the importance of this chapter and of what you guys have been talking about really well, that where you are geographically and where you guys have served in ministry are proof that when you are willing to serve God for the long term to be obedient and to do so in, like in the same direction hmm. that the effectiveness that comes from that, not effectiveness necessarily by business world Stress. metrics, but that the that the the fruit of the the ministry that you are each involved in and the lives that have been changed have not been solely because of the great people that you are, but that because you've been willing to lay that at the throne of God and to serve in Boise, Idaho, and Cincinnati, Ohio, for the long term, mm-hmm. even if that's looked maybe a little bit different in different ways over the years, like you guys inspire me and encourage me to want to be able to think in that long obedience mindset, not only in my faith journey with Christ, but also in ministry as well. So oh, Jeremy, thanks, just encourage you guys as well. Chris, were you the youth pastor at Springdale's? I was not. You were the young adult pastor. 
college and young adult pastor. But, yeah. But I, I mean, we've talked about this, but I'm just, I'm just like putting it together as Jeremy saying it. We're both involved in young adult ministry at churches where we were formerly both on staff. Yeah. Like at some level, it's okay to keep us around and, and here's something nobody, you know, oh, well, you guys are, you guys have got a lot of stuff going on with, with young adults. I feel like, I've got so much to learn from you guys. I'm just grateful to be in the conversation with you. <laughs> so, well, that, I mean, that's an interesting observation. And again, yes, thank you, Jeremy, for kind words. Um, it has been interesting, you know, in my own life of going from 15-ish years of, of youth ministry to then 11 years now of college ministry, of just needing to sometimes embrace a certain level of humility as you wrestle with what you know where you get your identity and and um you know where you see results um validation all those things you know um ministry again like the enneagram is a good way to um to kind of do some self-work um and figure out you know and sometimes it does take a while before you you learn some things about um, ministry. You also learn about how much you can do as a volunteer. Like you don't have to be the, the, the man, so to speak, or to be, you know, whatever. Um, it is kind of fun to be a part of a church where you feel the freedom and the, uh, you know, the ability to, to volunteer and to contribute um, and that not necessarily be your, you know, your paycheck or your main thing or whatever. Yeah. Outro, boys? Mm. Yeah. You ready for it? Let's get out of here. Here we go. Until <laughs> next time. Hey, keep failing forward. Be present. Be teachable. And be flexible. And try something new. Sounds good. Let's do it. See you. Thank you.